We turn in our Bibles at this time to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. As we begin our inner earnest, again, another walk through the Hudberg Catechism, coming also then in Isaiah 12 to that summary of that comfort that we speak in Lord's Day 1, question and answer 1. And so for context in that story, as we give ourselves again to that understanding of we have a story to tell throughout all of the catechism, we find those words within the stories, the narratives of Scripture. And so we come in this narrative to an understanding of the prophet of what will be worked in the wonder of Christ, the author and perfecter of that comfort, but also then the wonder of that which is for us in that great salvation. So we're going to begin our reading in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and we'll take for our text then the six verses of Isaiah 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den." They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim, but they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Philistines in the west and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall destroy them, and the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And then our text, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. As far the reading 
of God's Word. Let's also take up our Trinity Psalters, turning in its back pages to Lord's Day 1. You can find that on page 872 in the back pages of the Trinity Psalter. And so we take up that study of the catechism within our worship services and within our preaching, not because the catechism is the Word of God, but insofar as it agrees with the Word of God. It is a faithful summary of that Word. And so we hear these teachings again to drive us to the Word, to drive us to that where it is found, words then that allow us a better way to share our story and to be able to give an answer for the hope that is in us. And so let's hear these familiar words in Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Question two, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three, first, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Thus far, the reading of his word in our confession May he apply it to our hearts and lives today. Let's ask him to do that in prayer. Our Lord and merciful Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. For the wonder, Father, of the restoration you worked for your people in bringing them into the promised land. And as we have read in Isaiah, the promise that you would bring them again into the land. You would bring them close to yourself. You hadn't left them or abandoned them. But Lord, in love, you disciplined them. You punished them. And you brought them back in an astounding way again to your comfort. A comfort, Father, that isn't just something known or something that you've done or provided, but but Lord, it is what you have given us in your Son. And so it is to be embraced by faith. Even as your word, as it is proclaimed, is to be embraced. And so, Father, we pray that you'd bless the servant of that word as he brings that word. That, Father, his blessing, Father, would be the congregation's blessing. That, Lord, your word would work deep in our hearts that it is planted there, Father, that it would bear fruit, fruit of repentance, the fruit of good deeds, Father, offered to you. And so, Lord, would you hear us and be near to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, congregation beloved of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what is the main point of the story And children, as you hear that question, perhaps you've already been assigned book reports, and that's the first question you have to ask anytime you read a book. What is the main point? What's the theme? What's the point of this book all together? It's a question we ask perhaps ourselves, even as we listen to the yarn spun in the narthex or in the gym after church. What's the main point of this story? Sometimes we're so excited about the story that we forget. We've started saying something, and we're like, well, Why did I even say this? And so maybe that's excusable in old age, but certainly not when we're younger. In fact, when we tell a story and that main point isn't very clear, it makes it hard to listen. If we're not able to share the main point of the story, then what was the point of listening to the story or reading the story in the first place? And yet the story that we've been given, the Word of God, 
isn't something that we should have any question concerning what the main point of it is. In giving ourselves to that and knowing its pages from Genesis to Revelation, this is the one. We've been given the greatest story ever. That each of us in Christ have been changed forever by it. This is the one. If I'm going to tell someone a story, this is the one that I know. We have a story to tell each other. We have a story to tell to the nations. But do you know the main point? Do you know the main point? And we want to rush to that answer that of course we do. Of course we can speak gospel to someone. Of course we know the main point of the story. And, and yet I wonder. We say that we know the author and perfecter of our faith. We say we know the story, the gospel. But can we summarize it? Can we distill it in such a way sweetly and beautifully where we can tell that beauty and that sweetness in a single point? In a way of winsomeness and truth and wonder. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That question is asking you this morning for the main point. What's the thing? What are you living for? What's your confession? What's your hope? What are you building your life on? What's your hope for the next built on? Do we know the point? You're asked to tell that story, to summarize what comfort is and where it comes from and how you can know it and what it means. And it's the story that we confess that we needed to hear. This is the only way of salvation. This is the only way my heart and my life were changed. And brothers and sisters, there are others who need to hear that word too, who don't know our comfort. People looking for answers today. And as we look around and we say, how could they come to those conclusions? How could they say that about what men and women are or aren't? How could they believe that marriage relationships should be like that? How could they see the world in this way? How can they think? Things are messed up. We believe in a sovereign. It's why we prayed it. But as we look around, there's brokenness everywhere. And people don't have hope, and they don't have encouragement, and they're struggling. Yet we say we know the answer. That I have a comfort. That I have an only comfort. People are looking for answers. And they're willing to listen to a good story. I don't think you find anybody who isn't willing to listen to a good story. And so what we have before us is the opportunity to hear it again and to go through these things that some of you have heard for so many years. But now how are we going to use this thing? It's not just a document stuck in the back of our hymnal or given to our children to learn in high school. How are we going to use this to bring people powerfully before the point to that crystal clear center to a faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? And that's the power in Isaiah 12. Here it is. After seeing all that had gone on and all that had happened and all that God promises, 
Now here's God saying to his people, here's your comfort. And I want you to speak it. You're going to say it in that day. And so for us, we give ourselves individually and corporately to believing that and making that known. To believing and making known the story of comfort. And we see that in Isaiah 12. We hear it, obviously, all through Lord's Day 1. And so it's a story that it's one of turning. We see it in verse 1. It's one of trusting in verses 2 and 3. And it is one of telling in verses 4 through 6. But it starts with a turn. It starts with a change. For Israel, it had to start in the same way. You've been turned away from me and sent into exile. That's where you're going but you need to be turned again to me. That before we can know comfort, before we can share comfort, we have to understand our discomfort. We have to understand in the brokenness of the world why there is dissonance, why there's that which is off, that something isn't right, that something's missing, that we need to be saved from something, that we need to be saved from us. That's the point. That that discomfort makes us feel like there has to be more than we're living for. That there has to be something better. And people are in a place right now where they're, with the, they're sitting with that angst. Like, I know there's something else, but I don't know where to find it. I don't know how to get it. I can't figure it out on my own. And it's into that discomfort that we have something to speak. We have a story to share. And so we need to bring them, even as we've been brought, to the story of that word. And so in saying story, we're not talking about the Bible as fiction. I run into that some. You keep saying, the story is the account. And so in that account, in the first two chapters of Genesis, we see the creation of all things. God's made it good, people very good, beautiful thing. And already in chapter 3 is where we come to that discomfort. The reality of the fact that we're broken sinners who need to be turned away from ourselves and turned to the Lord. And yet what we also need is for God not to turn his face away from us. You see, that's the wonder of the good story. That this isn't just a, hey, go find comfort somewhere. But of a God who seeks Adam and Eve out to find where they are, to a God who sacrifices for them to clothe them, that they might go out, even though there was discipline for them, there is discipline in love and the promise of a Savior. You see, we have a story to tell. And so, in coming before a holy God, in coming before who a holy God is and what we are, it should still be a remarkable thing to you and those who you tell your story to that there can be any possibility of comfort at all. And maybe that's where you're going to meet people in their life right now where it doesn't feel like I have any comfort at all. Anything going right, everything's broken. Well, I have a comfort for life and death. I have a comfort because I'm not given to all of those things or I'm not defined by all of those things. You see, comfort can be given only because of God's will and intention. And yet by his word and work, he alone is able to speak a word of truth. One that we hold on to by grace. Because that turning isn't just a possibility. 
What does God say in verse 1? You will say in that day, because of what I have done and what I make plain to you, this is what's going to happen. You will speak this message. You will speak your deliverance and your comfort. You will speak the wonder of my work. But to do that, you must acknowledge your sin and misery. You have to acknowledge why you turned in the first place and why you need to be returned. You need to acknowledge that God is holy and that you're not. And that's found then in a quick look back at the words of Isaiah 6, 5. Because Isaiah there, even before getting here to chapter 11 and to 12, has said what? He comes into the presence, he sees the smoke, he sees the fire, and he says, woe is me. I am ruined. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have beheld the King, the Lord Almighty. That is where we're at in sin. Before a holy God and his judgment, without hope and without comfort, unless he does something. And so if we remain in our discomfort, if we continue turning away from the Lord, and that might be where some of you are found today. You know what, enough of that. I'll find comfort in the things of this world. I'll find comfort in doing it my way. If that's where you remain, then the only certainty for you is one of judgment. That will come. But we're shown a better way. We're shown the wonder, even in that discomfort, of a God who will turn to us. A Lord who will turn, and so embracing that, we will give Him thanks. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. I will thank you for knowing me, all of me, all the gross, all the junk, all that which separates me from you, and you turn to me anyway. Thank you for turning to meet me that I might know you, that I might know that I am not my own, but that I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the moment of grace, but I have to be delivered from that sin. It's that moment that we believe that we cannot change our own hearts, that only He can. And it makes my life in that moment then finally about making known that He is worthy of all glory and that I would take up the work that I've been created for in the first place to glorify and praise Him. But we still want to rush there. Even in preaching this message, I want to run there. Let's get to that good news. Let's get to that comfort. Let's get to that nearness. But the Lord speaking to Isaiah says, don't let that be empty praise. Don't let that be the empty praise of cheap grace, which so many in the evangelical world today, and I pause to even want to say that, because so many people leaving the authority of the Word of God have stopped preaching and teaching sin altogether. It's cheap. And so it's why Isaiah writes, for though you were angry with me, that the Lord had every right to be angry with me, for my life to be reasonably discomforted. 
There was reason for it. And we can't dismiss it. It'd be like telling a story with none of the conflict. Telling a story with none of the angst, none of the protagonist, antagonist. It's a terrible story. And we wish that story didn't have that. In every bit of brokenness, we wished that wasn't the case. But it's there. And we cannot dismiss it because it's inconvenient. We can't dismiss it because we think people are going to stop listening to our story. People seeking answers need to know why they're messed up. And why there's struggle in the world. And why there's brokenness. It's because of sin. And it's because sin exasperates God. It's the truth told later in Isaiah 5, verse 25. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them, and the mountains quaked, and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. And now God is saying, you will say, you will say, you're going to be able to say something different. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of man who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We have to speak truth in the story. The one of the fact that we have turned away from God. And he hasn't turned away from us. You've turned to sin and Satan and self, but we now can give thanks that he has turned to us. Your anger turned away that you might comfort me. He and he alone is able and willing to turn his anger away. But that doesn't just erase sin. No, it means it had to have been turned to someone else. His anger had to have been turned away from us to someone else. His wrath is real and must be satisfied. If there is to be comfort, sin needs to be atoned for. That story demands a sacrifice, a substitutionary atonement. It's the only way, but it's a part of the story. Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Her sins, and there's the point. We're sinners lost into discomfort that we cannot save ourselves from. But there is a God who can turn to us and save us in the comfort provided in his Son. That's the turning people need to hear. That's the point. He's fully paid for all my precious sins with his precious blood. What a price. And he has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. Turning his anger toward his son on the cross of Christ. That we would be shown true comfort. It is the heart and wonder of the story of the redemption of sinners. It is the only way of true comfort. And yet he's willing 
For by grace through that sacrifice, he looks on us. So that what can we now come to know? Isaiah 54, for a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. Says the Lord, your Redeemer. So Christians, we have to share a story that speaks clearly of our turning away, of our sin, of our need to be delivered, but also of a God who turns to us, who can receive us again through one sacrifice. It's a story then of trusting in that in the second place. And maybe that, even beyond this, is the most unbelievable part of our story. That an angry and holy God could save someone like me, like you. That he's able to turn his face away from that anger and instead toward me in grace and blessing. Yes, because that isn't about you, it's about Jesus. That's the power of our story. That's the whole point, not only for believing it, but also for sharing it. But do we? Do we really believe it? Not just memorized and rattled off. Do we believe it? Do we really trust it? Is that story, that Savior, your true confidence and hope and comfort? Hear it and let people see it. Verse 2, behold, look at this. Here it is, the wonder. Behold, God is my salvation. How can I trust that? How can you trust that? Because there isn't another comfort. There isn't another way. That's what's known in the discomfort of this world. I keep looking for it. I want it in stuff. I want it in in all of the pursuits of my life. And I come to the end and it's empty. I don't have anything. I have an only comfort. That isn't dependent on any of those things and can't be taken away from me. We have no choice. Nothing else or no one else worthy enough to give that trust to. Our only hope of salvation is, hear this, in God himself. Which is a call then to godly fear, but also godly trust. Because if you look to anything else, if you're telling any other story, you have no comfort and you have no salvation. That's what you're beholding. If we're not made to know the steadfast love of the Lord and the faithful Savior Jesus Christ, I have nothing. But if I have Him, if I am had by Him, I have everything. In Christ, we have the reality of the story. Isaiah 54, 10, For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. It's about his love and compassion. Because of his sacrifice, which grants us every blessing, then, brothers and sisters, we have but one response. So we hear this, we learn it, we memorize it, we talk about it, we read it. What's the response? 
I will trust and will not be afraid. That's what you're given. That's how this comfort is to operate. I will trust that God has granted a full and free salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. It's an understanding of the fact that there's fear if we're to seek to depend on self for salvation. But trust and faith remove all fear and all doubt. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And again, this isn't just cold truth, people of God. Children, in reading these verses, we see that, that repetition there, the Lord God. And it's two different names in the Hebrew text. The first is Yah. So that's like how you kids go up to your dad and say pops or dad or whatever familiar term you use. It's that term of endearment, right? This is you, the name of your closeness. But then he also says, in promise, Yahweh. I am the one who loves you and has made you great promise. He is my strength and my song. That my story is made plain in whom salvation are found. That in assurance I can trust in this one who loves me and has given me every promise. In assurance I can trust that this God watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart from his will. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Why? Because he has become my salvation. Not just is, but has been made real for me. Move to the main point. Move to profession. Now I am speaking my trust, my hope, because it's not enough to know that he's salvation. I must believe that he is mine, my assurance, and my salvation. And that's intention. That's direction. That's a need for response. Verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Activity and focus and need. An exertion. Because when we're brought to believe that our salvation is not in us but only in Him, we come to know the release of our burden and the wonder of freedom in Jesus and the empowering of His Spirit to live for Him and to drink deeply of the wonder of that salvation. And that's our joy. Our joy in knowing Him as the fountain of every joy and delight. Joyous because now here in verse 3, we have a shift in the way of the words of who's being called to here. Because now instead of to the individual, now it expands and now it's plural and now it's community. And now it's body and your people, your church. That this is our reality. That this is our salvation. That this is our God together as we are his chosen, precious possession together. And that salvation then drives us. That comfort drives us to find all that we need in him. That's why we sang from Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And yet God has said, now what? 
you will draw water from the wells of salvation. There is no lack for you anymore. In fact, that's what Jesus says. John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink living water. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You'll all be brought to joy and peace in believing. And that's the main point we share. This is what God has worked. This is what he provides. This is what he's given. This is the joy and the peace and the blessing we live out of. And you are called to believe it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Drink deep from the wells of salvation. He must be all your hope and trust. So I ask you this morning, is he? Is he? Not just the show, not just the memorization. Is he? No matter what you've done, he's able to forgive all your sins in the precious blood of Jesus. He is able to bring you near in his work and in his righteousness. In trust, he can bring you to abound in the joy of his grace. And in all you say and do, your life will tell others of your comfort and thanks and that in the last place. Because again, it's got to be believed. It's got to be shared. It's the call to all who are a part of that called, saved, and set apart people. To speak a story of comfort, not only of what we were and what we are, but how that comforting main point is still transforming all that we are right now. the story and its savior are still changing us they're still changing our story he changes our priorities and so the main change from that main point is that we are changed from serving sin and self to gratefully serving him in thanks for the grace that he has turned to us in and so our service rendered in telling the story is known in all that we speak and do as we live lives of giving thanks to him Verse 4, and you will say in that day, here's the repetition. You doubt me? I'm going to do this. You will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Which is more than just mouths. Now that's life. Now that's living in the land again. Now that's being brought near to him. In lives of thanks, we live in dependence upon him and his grace. Call upon his name. We live lives which make the main point of that witness known. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. A responsibility in Christ to tell others what he's done and why. To continually exalt him. And we are making that main point, the main thing, every time we gather for worship. Verse 5, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. And the most glorious thing is the salvation that is ours in Christ. It's the words of Isaiah 44. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. That's our task here. That's how comfort is to operate. 
that we would worship as those called to speak and live the truth, telling all of what God has done for us, a testimony of encouragement to the saints and a witness to the world. That we make that main point, the main thing, not only as we worship, but as we go forth to evangelize. Let this be made known in all the earth. Tell the wonders of who God is and what he's done and what he's done for you and what he's done in turning to you again and changing your life in every way, shape, or form. Go forth to that thanks thanks boldly for Christ by his Holy Spirit has assured you of eternal life and is making you wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let that story drive you to worship and to evangelism, but more to a nearer and dearer relationship to the Father through His Son, Christ, that will flow out of you in words and works. Verse 6, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Shriek and freak out. A little bit of paraphrase, but driving at what those words mean. Shriek out A shriek of unreserved joy like that of a young girl who gets excited and makes a sound come forth from her that cannot be duplicated but makes clear her happiness and joy. Let that come out. Do that in the confidence and assurance afforded to you that you are what? Did you hear the words at the end? You are a dweller. You are a citizen of Zion. You have a comfort in the now and forever. You've been brought near to a holy God, brought home with him to dwell with him forever. Zephaniah 3, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He is saying to you in the comfort that I have given you, share in my joy. Share in my work. Share in my love. What a great story. What a profoundly great story. And maybe when we even hear it, even now, we still think, man, it is way too good to be true. But it's not. But to know it wholly and to know it truly, to live and die in the joy of this comfort, you have to know how great your turning is, how great your sin and misery are. You have to know the wonder of trusting how you are delivered from all your sin and misery and what you're to tell, how you're to thank God for such a deliverance. Is that what your story is speaking to? For in sharing it, make known clearly the main point of your life. I belong to Jesus. 
And let that main point, your comfort, your salvation, your thanks, your joy, be Jesus. Let's be clear that we know the point. Let's be clear that we believe it. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the wonder of the gospel, the main point who is and always is and always will be Christ. And so, Lord, as we give ourselves to understanding and unpacking what that comfort means for us and is, in the fullness of your scriptures and the stories of your word, in the catechism that has been entrusted to us, Father, we ask that you would work, that you would work faith in us, that you would work it in the hearts of our children, that, Father, your church would be built up, and that the world would be evangelized in the name of Christ. And so, Father, we ask that as we give our gifts and talents and abilities before you, as we present our offerings for the Christian Ed Fund, Lord, may our children be equipped in the same. May they be called to Jesus, to the truth of that story, and might they live, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time-